Hello and welcome to the Soccer ESQ podcast. My name is Mickey Turner. You can find me online at Turner ESQ on Twitter. I'm also a contributor with The Athletic and Sounder at Heart. You can also find my writing at SoccerESQ.com. Well, there's still not much going on on the field in soccer, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of stuff to talk about off it, particularly in the world of lawsuits where the women's national team and U.S. soccer filed dueling summary judgment motions. We've talked a little bit about that in the past in the fact that one of those summary judgment motions caused the downfall of Carlos Cordero, who is or was the U.S. soccer Federation president. Taking his place is Sidney Parlo Cohn, who is looking forward to a way of hopefully resolving the lawsuit. As of yet, that hasn't happened yet. And the parties have submitted all of their summary judgment briefing, and that's being considered by the judge as we speak. There's been a lot of talk about the ramifications of the uh, quote-unquote offensive filings from U.S. soccer, which led to Cordero's ouster. But there's not been a lot of discussion about the legal merits of each side's case. And so to talk about that, I called up Kelsey Trainer, who is a fellow attorney and journalist out of New York. She's been following the summary judgment motion and the litigation at large. And so it was great to get a chance to meet her virtually and talk about the case. Uh, she had a lot of good stuff to bring to the discussion, and I really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. All right, joining me now, Kelsey Trainer, attorney, uh, litigator, sort of, uh, up in the New York area. Uh, who has been following the U.S. Women's National Team Equal Pay Lawsuit and been putting out a bunch of great information. And so I wanted to definitely get her on to kind of chat about the case because it is now in summary judgment phase with the court kind of reviewing that. And so I figured she'd be great to come on and chat with me about the case. Uh, Kelsey, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right, so first I wanted to get a little bit of of your legal background. Uh, We talked a little bit about it before we uh, started uh, broadcasting. Uh, but you're, like I said, you're up in New York, um, but what kind of led you to, uh, you know, the law and kind of following uh, uh, soccer and women's national team uh, specifically? Yeah, so, I mean, I played sports in college. I played golf and field hockey, and I ended up, uh, basketball was my sport. I was recruited to play, but got injured and kind of, you know, didn't go into it. But then I ended up coaching college basketball um, right after I graduated from there, I went to law school and litigated um, and clerked in Philadelphia for a while. And in, you know, all the not fun, boring areas, a lot of civil litigation. Um, and uh, I had a friend who worked in TV and film and he called me up one day. He's like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, you know, just hanging out. And he's like, come work for me. And he was the executive producer of a show called Blue Bloods. And um Selleck. Yeah, Tom Selleck, Donnie Wahlberg, uh, Marissa Ramirez, all, all great people. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, why not? Um, so I did that. I moved to New York about two years ago. And that was great. Hung out on set a lot, learned a lot about production and, you know, everything that goes along with that. But I totally left the law to do it. Um, and he also had an overall deal with CBS. So that was, you know, we were pitching new shows and I was getting to kind of work and learn the intricacies of the the industry that I had been adjacent to, but never been in. Um, and then went to work for a talent agency for a little bit and saw a job opening as business for um, a company run by Dan Abrams and ended up going there. And he looked at my resume and goes, oh, you're a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he's like, great. Want to do some legal work too? Oh. <laughs> uh, and so... <laughs> So now I'm in-house counsel and uh, business uh, affairs for um, 
a media company run by him and we do a bunch of, you know, we have TV networks and websites and book publishing and all that fun stuff. Um, and that's not, so media, now, right, is it? Is that one of the, uh, yes, media. Yeah. Media is one of the sites, which leads me into kind of how I got it started, uh, writing and into the sports journalism and, and writing about these legal issues, mostly from a, um, you know, uh, a legal perspective. Um, but obviously that's kind of how I got into the U S women's national team, uh, lawsuit. Oh, that's pretty funny. Cause I'm essentially the same way, uh, just writing about legal issues following, uh, mostly it was U S soccer's lawsuits, the NASL one, the antitrust lawsuit, writing about that. And that's kind of how I got in uh, with the athletic writing, uh, stories on, you know, just, you know, various legal issues. And it's kind of a niche market as it were. There's only a few of us out there doing right. it. Right. Yeah. Because I we think have our own little, you know, it is and it's uh, a colleague had come to me and she played um softball in college and she was like I want to do a sports podcast and I was like I don't know that that fits into any of our platforms quite so well at, at the company that I work for um but we thought let's also start writing articles to accompany the podcast because it's you know podcasts are hard to to monetize yeah. um and so we did that and you know one of the first things we did we we talked about um, you know, the sports media and, uh, you know, Alex Morgan sipping tea and all the backlash she took from that. And, um, we, the, one of the first guests we had on was Jay Billis. And so I always say, you know, Jay has been such a, he's been so good to me. Um, so I always say, I'm gonna be like the female Jay Billis out there. Cause I love what he does in the sports world. And, and the, you know, he's a lawyer. Many people yes. don't know that he's, you know, he's still a practicing, uh, attorney. Um, and so that's kind of, like you said, it's such a niche world, but I write about the areas that I'm interested in, whether it's U.S. Women's National Team or the WNBA stuff or college athletes' rights. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Women's National Team lawsuit. Obviously, we are kind of at the end game, I would say, actually. Um, you know, this case is not that old as far as, you know, federal cases of this nature go. I mean, this was filed, uh, what, in August, um, I think, or maybe that's uh, March. Yeah, March, Last. March 2019. Yep. Yeah, and then uh, Solo filed hers six months earlier. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's been about a year uh, since the case was filed. So it's you know it's not particularly old, but the you know I know the parties wanted to have a trial in the fall, but it was moved up by the uh, by the court um, for one reason or another. And so yeah, we we got a trial set for May fifth. As of us chatting, it is still scheduled to go on May fifth. But in the meantime, we do have you know some summary judgment motions that the court could grant. Um, in favor of one party in part or in whole, which potentially I suppose could dispose of the case. Right. But I want to, let's talk, talk a little bit about the summary judgment because, you know, obviously if there's a trial, we'll deal with that, but, you know, summary judgment is kind of first and foremost. Uh, right. A lot of, you know, uh, drama that has, has occurred as a result of mostly the filings from U.S. soccer. Um, and they've actually taken some of that back uh, recently in the last couple of days, as a matter of fact. So maybe we should start there. Uh, what do you make yeah. of their stipulation that they would not be using uh, some of the quote unquote offensive, uh, you know, arguments that led to the ouster of Cordero. It's, it's interesting timing for that for one. Right. And you know, it's so interesting because up until this, I believe it was April 1st, they filed this joint stipulation to clarify the summary judgment record. Um, and, you know, up until this April 1st point, their arguments from my perspective as an attorney, they're still on the record and they're still part of something that the judge is considering. Um, and I've tried to make that point multiple times is that, you know, how summary judgment works is you have 
motion for summary judgment, both sides submit them, then you have responses to that, and then you have repl replies to the re responses. And so people kept saying all in their reply responses that they were backing away from this argument and it was removed. Um, the reality was that it was not removed. There was nothing, like nothing was stricken from the record. Um, in their reply to the reply, they essentially said, oh, we're not going to kind of harp on that argument anymore. But guess what? It's in there. It's still in the record. Yeah. If I'm the judge, I'm looking at it. Um, and, you know, having clerked for the court and, and knowing that process of what goes into and what's looked at, you're absolutely reading that as part of the record. Um, so I think it was important that they did that. Uh, if I'm the players, I'm kind of, at the end of the day, my read of it is that it doesn't remove them from bringing it up further down the line. Um, it's not like this is something that U.S. soccer can take back and never bring up in court. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the record and what will be considered on, on summary judgment, you know, I, I don't think that the judge will address it in this case based on that, that stipulation. Yeah, I mean, that seems pretty clear. They went to great pains. It was kind of an, extra, uh, an extraordinary step. I mean, I, I can't recall having seen that before um, as going to that length to make sure that something's shrinking. And to your point, the judge could certainly read it. I mean, he, you know, whether he, I'm not sure if it's a male or female judge. I think it's a male judge. I think it's a judge, yeah. yeah. Um, um, whether, yeah. whether they're not, they consider that obviously it's one thing but they're still going to read it I mean it's still as you said part of the record um, and so I mean I'm, I appreciate what they were trying to do um, they just you know it seems to me probably a little bit more PR than uh, legal strategy but right uh, you know and but. even how it comes into the courts I mean it depends on the judge and their process but you know if I'm getting a motion for summary judgment and it ends up on the clerk's desk, I'm reading it, even if there's not a response yet, uh, you know, you're, and the same thing, you're reading the response without the reply brief, because you're scheduling it, you're figuring out how, how that goes into all the other cases that you have, and when you need to issue an opinion, um, you know, or a decision on it. So, you know, obviously, I don't think there's any way to, to say the judge and, you know, the, the record is, it's all, it's all in there. Yeah, and as you said, I, I'm sure the judge has already reviewed it. I'm, yeah, there, we could get a ruling at any point here um, because, again, you know, we're a month out for trial. And so if, if, if the case is going to go to trial, they need to know that this is behind them. Um, what, uh, I, I wanted to get your, kind of your, your, your high, highlights of the summary judgment motion, some of the, kind of the high points that have been discussed. Obviously, from the Federation's point of view, you know, setting aside the inferior, you know, talent and skill level argument that has now been pushed to the side. It seems to me their, their kind of high points or their main arguments are now um, that, you know, they collectively bargained for um, the agreement they made. They didn't ask for similar deals as to the men and that the argument over playing conditions is essentially moot at this point because all of the, uh, issues have been resolved at this point, such as like per diems, playing, uh, you know, pl traveling conditions, uh, playing services. Uh, so I'm just curious to kind of get your thoughts on, uh, on the arguments from the Federation side, um, because I think by and large, again, setting aside the inferior talent and skill level, they have a fairly strong case on summary judgment. Yeah, and I think I had said that when the original motion for summary judgment was filed, you know, I, a bunch of people had asked me what I thought, and I, you know, I said it's, it's pretty gray. I don't think that 
it's really in favor of one side or other because I think both sides have a strong argument. I think the way that they actually listed out their arguments in their motion for summary judgment was from, you know, the strongest to the weakest. I think the that, no, exactly, exactly. I, you know, when I think of their argument about this being um, collectively bargained, right, you know, if you have an issue with anything that's in it, right, you were represented and um, you had, this was a long negotiation process. If you have issue with it, take it up with your union. Um, there, to me, that was their strongest argument. You know, their argument about that they actually pay the women more. Um, I think we saw in the judge's opinion about the, um, uh, class certification. Uh, that, yeah. That there's some, there's some holes in that because part of that argument is that, well, okay, if you, if, if you look at it and you are seeing that the women are, have been paid more, it's because they're winning and it's because, um, yeah, it's because they're winning, right? And they're playing, they're just essentially playing more. Right, exactly. I think the judge was like, women shouldn't have to play to like do twice the amount of work to just get paid the same. Um, and so, but I, I also do think that due to the differences in their, um, the, their CBAs, I think there's a, a good argument of that. How do you actually compare that pay structure, um, you know, under the wall, under the, um, uh, equal pay act and so it, those to me again like you were saying I think they were strong arguments um, and I don't know I wouldn't have picked a side at when the motions for summary judgment were filed um, I do think that including their you know their last argument about women being inferior essentially by birth um, <laughs> it, it, I think it I think it did I think it did uh, PR damage and I think it did damage them legally like I, I just think it's a um it's in and of itself kind of a discrimination so yeah. um, like I said if I'm the players I want that in there because I want to be like hey look let's they point to this and be like oh great they're saying that there was there's no discriminatory reasons for anything they did here's them saying it themselves yeah and, and you wonder if they would argue that that just taints the entire process by which they've negotiated with the women from the start because they're starting right. from the place of they're inferior and therefore don't uh, deserve as much money, and that just colored the entire negotiations. It just, it, I mean, it was just a it was a crazy argument in the way that they, you know, it was a crazy argument generally, but just the way they even phrased it, which again probably goes to why they went to such great lengths to try to get it stricken from the record. Essentially, right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so um, on the on the CBA specifically, the 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 women have kind of come back with the argument that you can't negotiate away your rights. You can't negotiate away equal pay. And, and so because they, you know, their premise is that it was discriminatory and therefore that kind of, again, taints the whole process. And, but I think the, the, obviously the issue is we don't know if the differing pay structures is per se discriminatory. Right. It's difficult to, to calculate because essentially the women do get paid in a completely different structure. Yeah. But of course they negotiated that structure. According to the, the Federation, they offered to kind of, you know, here's the men's pay structure. We'll give it to the women as well. And the women right. more, more security. Now that's been disputed, uh, which leads me to believe it will go to trial. But uh, that aside, um, I was just curious what your thoughts are on it. Can you compare those types of pay structure to make a, make a finding that, one is better or worse or is it just 
negotiation. I, I don't know. There's not much. Yeah. I don't know either. I do know that there are people way smarter than me who can put the math to, to this and the economists that have, that have done it. And I've, I've read through the, um, you know, the exhibits and on both sides and, you know, the economist's point of view. And personally, I do think it is a hard comparison. Um, but I, like I said before, I think the best argument that the women have is that if you look at it overall, and I believe this is in their motion for summary judgment, if you look at it, I guess it's like the overall compensation or the, the per player um, that the rate is just lower for the women than it is the men. And it's as simple as that. And I think if they can do a good job convincing, you know, a jury or the judge, or if they've done a good job convincing the judge that that in and of itself is enough, then I think, you know, they, they defeat us soccer's contention, um, you know, on the differences in the pay structure. I do personally think it's kind of hard to, to, to go to compare. Um, but I'm not as smart as a lot of other people out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> For those attorneys, although what it, you know, math is hard. That's why you go into law. <laughs> that is 100% correct. Um, and you hire experts to, to exactly one of the numbers for you. Um, exactly. I was also wondering, uh, you know, we, there's a lot of talk about the, uh, the world cup bonuses um, that are in play. And that's, you know, there's, I think the Federation's argument is that, the women are trying to bootstrap that in to the collective bargaining agreement to basically say, well, you guys shouldn't have put that in knowing that there's such a disparity in pay. Well, the Federation says, well, that's just not our problem. We did, we're not the ones who are responsible for this. Essentially, go sue FIFA. Uh, not right. that we're going to do that, but um, I, I'm, I'm not, my, my, my hunch is that the Federation's probably on firmer ground here with that argument. But I, again, I'm not sure this is such a, it's a unique case. And there's, again, there's not a lot of precedent to show. And, you know, it's possible that we have some like new law made essentially right. on, on, an, um, on this case, because there's just not a lot of, like I said, precedent, but yeah. What are your thoughts just generally on the, on the world cup bonus issue and you know, how it, re how it relates to how um, the arguments may play out? Right. I mean, and that's the argument is it's like FIFA money, right? It's a third party. It's this argument that, you know, listen, we can't control that the worldwide that men's soccer makes more than women's soccer. Um, and like you said, I do think that the Federation is on pretty firm ground with that argument. Um, I think it's how convincing and how much there is evidence wise in terms of emails or testimony from people that were that are in the process of kind of negotiating and going to the marketing for all of those things and, and pressing for better TV deals and this and that, you know, because there are people in the Federation that have um, that influence and that say, and that's, I mean, I think it was listening to Foudy talk and that's essentially what she's saying. Like this has been, you know, you're not pressing for the, this level of coverage in the States and you're not pressing for this level of marketing. Um, and that's another thing. I, I don't know if we talked about that yet, but the marketing, right? U.S. soccer and all of their depositions and um, all of the emails back and forth is like, well, we don't break down like how like the sponsorships and this and that come in. And that to me is mind blowing yeah. because I mean, I, I, I can, I'm a fan of sports, right? And you know, like when Landon Donovan was playing, I knew people on the men's soccer team, but I don't follow it, you know, re religiously or anything like that. I don't even know who's on the U.S. men's national team 
team right now. Not many people do. Um, <laughs> exactly. And that's the point being, like, if you use that logic and you look at, you know, the men's national team versus the women, there's pretty much, you know, an easy inference as to who is bringing in this sponsorship money um, and who is bringing in these deals. And even the fact that they had to kind of hold out, um, you know, some rights and negotiation for some TV rights for the men's national team as well. Um, so I, I don't really know where it stands, but I, it's, it's an interesting argument. This third party, um, where this third party money is where it stands essentially in this case, I think we will, I think we could get some new case out of it either way, right? Either it's, you know, this is allowed or let's look to the negotiations and the whole process. And was this discriminatory? Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. I suppose uh, one argument that the women, I think they've made it, you know, not, if not explicitly, it's kind of implied is that, well, the Federation probably knowing, knowing the issues, maybe shouldn't have negotiated that into the men's, uh, collective bargaining agreement that they get such a massive, share of whatever the world cup pot is um and they should have just uh, you know left that out now i'm sure you know in the event the men win the world cup you know that's a that's a, obviously you know, that's, right, that's right. Point time, um, uh, soon but um yeah that's uh may, maybe they shouldn't have put that in there if they you know if they were worried or thought about the fact that this could blow up in their face later on because of the disparity right and, you know, I just, I think that this team is just, I don't know that, that you're having this, that anybody's having these conversations without the, um, all of these factors that have come together to create this like perfect firestorm for this lawsuit, right? You have, a, where else in the world do you have a women's team that is so much more successful than the men's team? Um, you know, right. You don't see it in uh, basketball, right? Because the USA women's national team and the, the men's national team are, are both successful, um, and you don't see it in other other countries this way. And it, the disparity is huge. Then you have the walls of the United States that allow for you know, some types of, of these lawsuits to take place. And then you have the players themselves who are just in and of themselves this brand. Yeah. And I think it's like this perfect storm because I don't know how a lawsuit like this exists kind of anywhere else. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I really talk, talk a little bit about uh, the women themselves because as you said, they've been kind of rock stars um, ever since, oh, we could go back to about 2011, um, right. the modern kind of modern era, even though they didn't win that World Cup, they made it to the final. And then 2015, obviously, they went on the magic run. And then and this this uh, last cycle, they were just dominant pretty much <laughs> throughout. Um, and they've done a pretty good job. Um, and you're kind of in a unique space as kind of a media person, along with being an attorney. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of, they've done a good job of leveraging their popularity in this lawsuit, as well as kind of responding to kind of the, you know, the things as they happen, which, you know, the, the backwards shirt, um, right. in the, uh, in the aftermath of the, the filing. So just curious, uh, as you've kind of observed how they've kind of handled, uh, the lawsuit and the ensuing, you know, firestorm and the backlash to the motions and just kind of how they've handled, handled the case from a media side. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it's like gonna be studied for uh, for for years to come. To be quite honest, and I don't, we're not just seeing it with um, the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. I, I think another example has been the job that the players of the WNBA did this year in negotiating their collective bargaining agreement um, with the with the league. And I think it's just overall this general um, 
notion I've, you know, I've certainly always believed it, but I don't know that everybody has is that female athletes are a brand and a moneymaker. Right. And, um, especially in this day and age, you have people speaking out, um, you have their ability to get different kinds of, of, uh, sponsorship deals. Um, and all that does is just expand their value, uh, to the market and to get these points across. Um, and I think, you know, they've done a brilliant job of, um, getting this out there and really just kind of hitting home on the facts. I mean, a lot of times you'll, they're not out there saying equal pay, equal pay, equal pay, right? They're, they're backing it up with facts. They're backing it up with information and going on these shows and reaching audiences of people and getting this public outcry of like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean that this guy over here who I don't know his name is getting paid more money than Meg Rapino? That's, you know, that's, that's not actually happening, but that's what people are, are thinking. Right. Um, and I think they're doing a, a great job of that. Um, yeah. And like I said, I think it will be studied from like a, you know, a marketing and PR standpoint. Um, but I also think that they're just being genuine and pretty authentic, you know, like it's it, you know, being a woman, like there's a certain point where you're just like enough is enough. Right. And so the, the, you can see it in some of their faces and hear it in their voices. And even Julie Fowdy, when she was responding to that letter from Carlos that was read on air um, during the final She Believes Cup, like there was just such exhaustion in her voice of like, are we still having these conversations? Is this still, why is this still a thing? Um, so I think there's some genuineness and, and authenticity there that, you know, you might not have seen other places. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I think the Federation and I've, I've talked to them, you know, a fair amount about this and they put it in their, their pleadings that they realize that they've lost the PR battle here and they're not going to win it. I mean, to the extent they were trying to win out, I don't even know if they were, but they realized <laughs> you know, where the sentiment is in the case. But sentiment doesn't necessarily win a legal legal case, right? Um, and so that's actually what I kind of wanted to ask you about next uh, is what happens if the federation wins their case, either in summary judgment or after a trial. Uh, you know, again, we've talked about they have a reasonable chance of winning the case. I'm not I'm not going to lay odds on it one way or the other, right? But this is not a long shot case for the Federation to win at either state. So um, I don't know if you think there's a difference whether they went after a trial or at summary judgment. Um, you know, the, now as I think about it, there probably would be. But just uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on what happens if we get a, uh, a findings uh, on you know, Monday that the Federation's won, won their case after summary judgment? What do, what do you think happens? Yeah. I mean, one, I just, the fight's going to, it's not going to be over. I mean, you and I both know the process and the appeals that, that would happen. Um, I think if they win on summary judgment or uh, on, you know, at a trial, um, I, I don't know where, so you, like, I don't know where U.S. soccer goes from that point. Um, I, you know, I could see the players sitting. I could see something like that happening because, going forward it's there is this notion of like you're either going to be part of the solution or you're not um and the solution being that like you there's an inherent value in female athletes and these major you know professional players um but i i personally i think the case will settle because i think that both sides do realize that um the other side could win 
right? And I think that a win for U.S. soccer is not even necessarily a win for them because I think the ramifications of what could happen and the players and the backlash and, and what that means for U.S. soccer going forward, I think they realize that it's just not a win for them, um, even if they do win in, in court. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a little – it's it's interesting to think about. I mean, the, the lawyer in me is like ready to read any decision or anything that comes out because I'm like, I need to know, you know, this argument. And then also, I mean, I'm sure you're you've you've done this multiple times is like when you read something and you can see, um, you know, a lack of reasoning or you see things wrong with the argument. You're like, this is totally going to get appealed and probably win on appeal. Um you know, that is another thing that I'm interested to, to, to look at and to see what comes out. Even when you had the, um, this is totally off topic, but you had like the, um, the Weinstein trial and everyone was arguing about letting this and this person um, testify. And it was like the end of the day, the judge did it because the fact that they did it and he was guilty meant that like, that there was no appeal there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just the legal, sorry, that's super nuanced, but like just the legal side of it is, is fascinating as well. I think we're going to get some, uh, some laws out of it. Who knows? Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's kind of my thought as well is that, you know, this case is highly likely to settle, especially, you know, they brought in uh, Latham Watkins to kind of clean right. the mess. Um, you know, I've, it's just been interesting to see how the Federation has kind of uh, dealt with the, the aftermath, getting rid of, Cordero, um, Cone comes in, they get rid of the, the firm, they go to great lengths to kind of, you know, streamline their their motion. Um, I think this, you know, it all leads to believe that they're going to settle because as you say, the backlash to a win for the Federation, either at summary judgment or at after a trial, at least a trial, they, you know, they would have had their day in court, um, right. not a stop and appeal. Um, but the backlash after summary judgment, people say, well, they won on some technicality, even though you and I know that they, you know, they, the court just right. agreed with their very legitimate arguments. Right. Uh, and then you, you got the fans that are, that are already mad at the Federation for, you know, any number of issues. You got the sponsors who were freaked out after that motion or, uh, was filed. Um, and then you talked about the women's national team. Uh, what, what would they do in retaliation? And I use retaliation in quotes. Right. Um, not that they're going to try anything, you know, crazy, but there could be some you know, ramifications to that. And that's all stuff that they, I'm, I'm sure, don't want to have anything to do with. Um, right. Why? Why? Why would the players continue to play for, um, you know, a federation or organization who sees them and values them as less? Right. Because it's already been on paper. Right. So now they know it. So essentially the only way to fix that is to put up the money. Right. I actually think it's bad business to, to, for them to be fighting this the way that they are, because they could go to a sponsor, you know, what's the ask 66, 67 million in back pay. They could go to a sponsor who would be willing and wanting to be a part of this like major, you know, historical fight for equal pay. And they could get a, a few, a good amount of millions, I think um to make this happen and so i just i think it's bad business that they haven't yeah and I, you know to be fair to the federation i know that they've had settlement negotiations um the last time i i think i talked to them about three weeks ago about this and when they were trying to settle the case uh you know uh, between the parties they they said they were about 10 to 15 million dollars apart yeah. uh, which to your point is something that budweiser could come up with right their couch yeah i heard a little bit different uh, 
things about how the settle how the settlement and mediations yeah yeah (laughs) that's not surprising again that that was from the federation so they're putting right there's that for sure um and uh, you know they have not i assume that there's been some settlement negotiations since all this blown has blown up but again the federation told me that they haven't talked to the Right. I think there was that phone call. What was it last week or the week before the weeks are all blending together right now. Um, But yeah, they're like, there hasn't been a phone call or or an email, which again, I think the Federation is doing a lot, right? You've got now Carlo Cohn in there. I think they are taking steps in the right direction, but that's not one of them, right? The fact that there hasn't been this, this uh, kind of leveling of like, you know, you've got a former U S women's national team player heading this now and you know that camaraderie that that is someone who's been there um so yeah i I, it's i don't know (laughs) yeah i mean again the case could the ruling could come out at any time literally right uh, as far as summary judgment so you think that would behoove them to get together and settle the case but you know by all accounts, the women were hopping mad about that summary judgment motion, and they may be just raring. They want to see what the summary judgment has to say first right. uh, before they decide to to come back to the table. It's just, you know, I don't know. Um, a lot, so last thing I want to ask you about, since you referenced her, Cindy Cohn, uh, coming in as president. Um, you know, she's got a couple of things she's, she's working on trying to do, repair the relationship uh, to the extent she can, help settle the lawsuit. What do you see as kind of her role and and how difficult is that job uh, going forward to kind of mend the relationships? You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people have pointed out that like, you know, just appointing her doesn't change the fact that, you know, almost everybody is still in the same place. Like Carlos is still on the board, I guess, as the the past, the most recent past president. Um, And so I think people realize that there's still this, this difference of of culture and, and, you know, that's the issue. Um, I do think there's something to be said for having somebody who was quote unquote, you know, one of us or one of them, you know, in the position to, to do these things. And clearly she's intelligent, um, you know, and clearly she does have a different relationship with uh, a lot of the people on the other side than, you know, Carlos would um, or anybody else. Um, so I think she's in an interesting position that is good PR wise. I think clearly, you know, she, um, has the smarts and the abilities to, to get things done. I just don't know that because nothing else has, has really changed, um, that it will happen. Um, but you know, call me optimistic. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah, to your point, you know, she's not the, you know, the president is somewhat of a ceremonial position. It's the right. board that really has all the power. And, you know, she was a part of that. Um, and one of the issues was that by all accounts, they, they approved of this strategy in the first place. And as you say, many of the same people are still there um, right. who were involved in this in the first place. And, uh, you know, the, you know, I've, I've spoken to some women's national team representatives and they've, you know, they have some good things to say about the board, about a lot of the work that many of the people do. Right. Again, it is a volunteer position. So these people aren't getting rich off of this. They're doing it for the love of the game. But there is this this schism now that needs to be uh, bridged. And she's going to have a a role to play in trying to get that done. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, it's, I, I, I do take a lot of issue with, I, you know, maybe this is because I am, you know, in-house counsel, but do take a lot of issue. I guess the uh, in-house counsel was um, put on leave or, um, or I forget who it was general counsel. And, you know, walk, I think who has been put on administrative leave. Right. And I mean, you and I both know, and particularly in a scenario where you are in-house, you know, you are le legal strategies, you know, I don't sit there and come up with them and you don't sit there and come up with them. Right. It is a, they're tech there. You have a client and your client is the business and that's who you answer to. Um, and the, the fact that, or the idea that this falls on one person and that so many people have not, did not review it, did not see it. We're not part of the, the sessions of strategizing and researching this case law and asking these questions in depositions um, you know, it, it's laughable and it's, you know, it's a little bit of an uh, insult to a lot of people's intelligence um, to kind of scapegoat somebody this way. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I personally just took a lot of issue with that. And, you know, people are smart and, and know generally how things get done. So um, the fact that, that they kind of went with that is, is, a, is a little bit laughable. Um, or incredibly negligent that yeah. <laughs> they didn't. Right. It's one or the other, you know, they knew or they didn't. And either way, it's not good. Yeah, not good. So they've got a lot of work to do. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Do you have any predictions on how it, uh, how it uh, pans out? Uh, I, I have not been able to make one as far as the summary judgment motion is concerned. I, I, I really think it is a toss up. I really think it is a toss up. <sighs> you know, I think probably before I would have said, you know, knowing the, the judge in the case and kind of seeing his stats, um, yeah, I looked those up on, on Westlaw and, you know, what, how often he rules in favor of what. Um, I think he probably knows this is a monumental case, and I don't know that he will decide it on summary judgment, given what um, has transpired, you know, throughout it. Um, but he also might say, listen, we're in a global pandemic and, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> I don't know, he might take the opposite approach saying we're at the global pandemic, you know, why do women have to make, you know, 50 cents of the dollar of men? Like, let's pay them more, you know, I don't know. So I don't think I'll go with a hard line, uh, a prediction, but um, generally, I, you know, I, I think that a lot of summary judgments uh, get denied. Yeah, I think, I think that's more likely to go to trial or he'll push it to get to settlement and kind of right. in a way that says neither of you is going to like what happens. This right. Goes. Exactly. I mean, that's, you yeah, then that's a good judge. And I think, you know, I think you're right that that may happen. Um, and, you know, I think it'll be a decent figure and I think it'll also um, contain a lot of provisions going forward that ensure, um, you know, some, some quality uh, things and uh, language for, for the women. Yeah, it'll uh, it'll be interesting to see how what a future deal looks like because again, which we we didn't get to in this in this discussion, but the men have a role to play here too because they're without a CBA at the moment, and I know the federation has been frustrated with them not uh, really either coming to the table to maybe negotiate a joint agreement with the women where they right. basically split the revenues because I think you know what the federation thinks is the men are just waiting for the women to come to a deal and then the men are going to ask for that plus twenty right. Exactly. And you know what, I actually think the men, I think at that point, the Federation can, you know, kind of turn fold and maybe regain some, uh, some public 
uh, uh, perception of them and that they could say it's laughable that you're going to come back and ask for 20% more when you don't win. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think that's a, that's a play too um, for the, for the Federation to kind of go back to them and, and figure that out. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. So I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, Kelsey, I want to thank you for joining me. This is a, I had a great time talking with you. Yeah, you too. Uh, where can people find you online and uh, through your writing? Yeah. I'm at K train underscore 11 on Twitter and at K train 11 on Instagram. And I write for a number of different sites. I write for equalizer, equalizer soccer and media, high post hoops and uh, you know, generally wherever someone will take me. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Thanks a lot uh, for joining me. Like I said, this is a great discussion and uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend.